Hi folks, it's Kean here. This is, of course, Wide Atlantic Weird. This is something of a bonus episode um, of sorts. I had it in the can from when it was originally one of the Patreon episodes. I'm not running that campaign at the moment just because real life things are getting very complicated and doing extra episodes, um, you know, regularly was getting to be a problem. But that means that I have a few up my sleeve that I can pass out to everybody eventually. Uh, this one is part of the American Militia series that Ali and I have been doing. So if you're interested in those, go back and take a listen to where we started off talking about stuff like Ruby Ridge and um, the Oklahoma City bombing. This one kind of fits into that. It's about a group called The Order and the Turner Diaries, an infamous book often referred to as a sort of Bible for... Uh, far-right white supremacist movements in the US. It's it's from the 70s and it was definitely instructional for an earlier an earlier generation of sort of far-right activists and, and, and people who actually wanted to make something happen. But it has of course come to mind this month because of happenings in Washington and if you're listening to this in early 2021 you probably know what I'm talking about. That of course was the whatever you want to call it, the insurrection, the storming of the Capitol. Watching that happen myself, the Turner Diaries came into my head, and I know I wasn't the only one. Amazon have since pulled Turner Diaries from all of their online shops. Uh, So somebody else somewhere realized there was a connection here. I think the connection largely is that the Turner Diaries is, of course, a... Uh, it's it's a novel, it's a fictional novel from the late 70s about a takeover of the US by an organised militia white supremacist group. And they do attacks, some of which are laid out quite clearly how, how they were done. So it also functions as, like, firstly an ideological thing, but also a, a more practical one. And in, in this episode, it's myself and Ali recorded a few months ago, talking about The Order. They're a, a real-life group who based themselves from a group called The Order, who were the fictionalized group that are in the book, The Turner Diary. So this episode is mostly about the uh, the rather short career of The Order in, re- in real life, but there's a bit more information here as well about The Turner Diaries and uh, kind of how they were inspired by that book. Unfortunately, now we've just had a recent event which has some elements which do feel as though they are in some ways influenced by the movement that was spawned from The Turner Diaries, whether or not they've read it themselves, whether or not they're aware of it themselves. Um, I have a quote here. So I believe we've recommended uh, Catherine Bulow on this show before. I think my brother mentioned her book, bringing the war home basically she writes about um white supremacy movements and extremist right movements in in the u.s so she knows what she's talking about in an interview here with the los angeles times she's asked about the the january 6th uh, capital invasion and she's asked at what point during that incident did the turner diaries come to mind now this is a journalist who has spent a lot of time studying the turner diaries and and the movements that sprung from it so She said, it's clear to anyone who studies this movement that some, some of the activists on Wednesday's action were white power activists. What we're looking at on Wednesday is a sort of a broad coalition of Trump fans and QAnon believers and more extremist white power groups. And I just want to interject here and say I I agree with this. I think we looked, we saw a very wide range of different groups of people um, not all of whom were as extreme as what we're going, myself and Ali are going to be talking about in that, in this episode, but I don't know, when you're going to events and, and there are Nazis beside you, I think you need to rethink where you're at. 
She continues to say, I think the Turner Diaries really becomes a clear point of reference if you look at the photographs of the action. Activists erected a gallows outside the Capitol and hung up symbolic nooses. I saw another photograph of someone who had smashed a television camera and made the cord into a noose. That's a reference to the day of the rope, the systematic hanging of lawmakers and other people that they consider enemies. I'm going to interject here and say, like, even if these people didn't deliberately know about the Turner Diaries and, and weren't deliberately making this reference to this particular element of the book, I mean, if you're hanging nooses in America, you are, you are, regardless, you are carrying on a long and ignoble tradition and you very much know what it is that you're referencing. And there's any number of other terrible things. It could be um, Turner Diaries aside. She carries on and says, the diaries also feature very prominently, this is the most the most important part, an attack on Congress that is significantly not a mass casualty attack. Although there are lots of mass casualty attacks in the Turner Diaries, what happened what happens at Congress is instead meant to be a show of force that a group of activists can impact even a highly secured target. So what we see there is a really clear alignment with the way it's imagined in the movement. So I think that's really the most important thing here, that the Turner Diaries does contain a sort of a blueprint for an event similar to what happened back at the beginning of January, uh, whether or not people were, were aware of that. Um, and not all of the people involved, I suspect, were aware of that, but um, we all saw the pictures of the people who were very much on the sort of neo-Nazi fringe. And again, if you're, if you're aligning yourself with anyone of that ilk, you know, no matter what you yourself believe, you're definitely... Your uh, beliefs, I think, are due a rethink. I want to mention that the Turner Diaries describes a, a very well-organized uh, movement, a very well-organized uh, white supremacist movement that is effective and able to pull off what it wants and very much knows what it wants to achieve. Whereas MAGA, which is, is I think, the most sensible name to give this movement we have today, fortunately, to some degree, has a leader who is incompetent and only occasionally interested in in what MAGA is or what MAGA wants, only in as much as it's useful to him. And I think at the moment um, he's not putting much energy into it because there's no obvious way for him to benefit from it. I think once he slinks off and starts up his own network or, or media enterprise of some sort and uh, makes his, his, his attempt to be a, a competitor to the likes of Fox for far-right viewers, I, th I think that might change again. I think the movement might once again coalesce around um, him as a leader. But I think... I think the, the capital attack was key at showing how this, this is a very large movement of lots of different kinds of people, all of whom are very angry and very riled up and, and want to do something. But they don't really know what because, because their leader is, is, is incompetent and because it's, it's based on lies and there's no, there's no real practical end goal to this whole movement. You could, see the, you could very often see the surprise in people's faces once they actually got into the capital. You know, they had been all riled up for months and months and months about this. And now they were there, and 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 now what do we do? You know, there, you could see they were actually shocked and surprised that the, the the police and eventually the military turned against them. I think they probably did expect some of those groups to open them with open arms, and we've all seen examples where, um, there probably is a lot more um, agreement between those two groups than there than there should be, but still, at the end of the day, the 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 security forces did their job and and kicked these people out, and you could see the. The anger and the and the shock and the the feeling like well no you don't do this to us you do, you do this to other people but the, I think they fully in, uh, expected that, that uh, Trump would somehow appear with uh, you know his his forces of good and 
and, and help them all out or, or produce something. But of course, he has no interest in doing anything of the sort. So last thing I'm going to say is I might as well put this out into the world as dark as it is because poor Ali who did the episode with me had to read the entire Turner Diaries and it's a piece of shit so I think anyone who had to do that they might as well get something out of it so I hope you get something out of this rather grim episode quick warning that this is we're dealing with some pretty nasty stuff here that's kind of your trigger warning. We're talking about hardcore racists and bad things that they have done and there's murder and there's talk about genocide and all sorts of nasty things. If you don't need that in your day, this is one to skip perhaps. So Ali, thanks for coming on again. The, the actually, the, the American militia episode has been well received. It only came out a few days ago, but I've had some good feedback on it so far. People like this stuff and hopefully we're dealing with it in a way that's appropriate but still interesting you know we're, we're not making light of it but you know it, it's heavy stuff so sometimes we have to be a little bit silly with it and just to keep ourselves from from getting too serious i guess uh yeah you know what i mean like we're not making light well hopefully we're not making light of anything like but we are just you know sometimes you do laugh at the bizarreness of it like you know you just have to go like what the hell how do how do people believe all this nonsense like you know yeah and i guess well, that's that's why this podcast exists in the first place am i right <laughs> i feel like following up on something i said on that main episode i mentioned that going through a bit of a period of kind of you know obviously not not just why do people believe weird things which is the main emphasis of the show but why do people kind of what, what, you know people who are taken into sort of really fringe far-right stuff but it, i mean it is different now it's one thing to say back then look these people were hurting in certain ways and they wanted to change i, I don't think anybody can claim now that th they didn't know what they were getting into no, I, no, and like he's still got his ardent supporters like that. They're still surfing that wave of populism. He's still trying to keep going. But actually, I think it's, you know, well, obviously it's died down because Biden won. Fake news, fake news. Oh, that, <laughs> Trump that, won. I don't, that statement has is, 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 uh, not been verified by Twitter, Ellie. I think we'll have to put a warning on it. <laughs> uh, uh, so what did you read for this episode, Ali? You've, you've, you've done uh, some more hardcore work, hardcore research on some horrible topics. I, uh, well, not a shameless plug. I've been getting ready my, um, my charity, uh, kind of punk show called Philanthropunks. So I've, I've only been able to read what I can read in between organizing, whatever that's going to be like, but I'm assuming it's going to all work out. Um, <laughs> Fingers so crossed. I've, yeah, I've been reading up about Bob Matthews and, uh, the, um, the order. Uh, also I've been reading this book, uh, called, Got a really long name, uh, the Silent Brotherhood. Um, I don't lose my place. I'll go back up. I'll give you the full title of it: The Silent Brotherhood: The Chilling Inside Story of America's Violent Anti-Government Militia Movement. And I actually thought these guys were just a bunch of shyster heisters, like you know, um, at the start. But it, it it turns out like that there was um, a little bit more to them. You know, they they were big news. Uh, first off, they were responsible for the largest um, heist on a uh, armored truck, armored bank truck uh, in California, in, in history, in California history. Now these guys were inspired by the Turner Diaries, is that right? They, that's right, yeah. Bob Matthews started it all. So like, he got involved from a very early age. Um, uh, I think the age of 11 actually, would you believe? Age of 11, he got, he got involved in, in kind of like politically stuff. Uh, so he joined the, 
he was given like papers to read and all that by his mother when he was a young child or she used to read them to him at the time like um this is kind of like in the era of mccarthyism that he's born in uh so like communists were big news in the papers back then and the john birch society uh was big in the news back then like i mean look they were um anti-communists and they were anti-everything they were anti well, redistribution, anti-economic interventionism, anti-collectivism, anti-anarchism, anti-everything. Everything-ism you can think of. Well, you know, they were against the civil rights movement. They were against everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so, but he, um, he joined that society or got, became involved in it, like uh, just kind of, I suppose, listening to people talk when he was 11 years of age. And um, I think that was probably the start of his radicalization. You know, they were Mormons, that family. Uh, uh, but they weren't like... Uh, like crazy churchgoers from what I've read anyway, uh, but that's just their beliefs that they followed. Um, good thing about the good thing, interesting thing about the John Birch Society, right? It's been linked to the presidency of Donald Trump. It's still around. Really? Well, yeah, I know it's still that. around. So what's the connection to Trump? So um, it turns out that, I'll just read this little bit that I found here about them. Yeah, uh, no, this is perhaps all hearsay. I, I don't know, right? But um, political commentators such as Jeet here of the New Republic argued that Trumpism is essentially Bircherism. And Trump confidant and longtime advisor Roger Stone said that Trump's father, Fred Trump, was a financier of the society and a personal friend of the founder. Oh, I, I've read recently yeah. as well that um, like Trump's close family when he was growing up, like their priest or pastor or whatnot was involved in the, the prosperity gospel. Have you heard of that? No, it's it's this branch of sort of fringe far right Christianity in the US where they say, you know, like being rich is a godly trait. So like God wants you to be rich. So, you know, the more of a ruthless money grubber you are, the more oh. holy you are. So oh. it, 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 it equates right. you know, worldly wealth with godliness. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's it's full of um, basically a trait. I think actually Trump... Uh trains you to be a narcissist basically it trains you to believe that whatever is, is best for you personally and keeping everybody else down is actually what god wants uh, there was a, a theologist um, and a commentator recently that they came out with a short video about that like the cult of trump and his name is reza aslan and in that video he says it's pretty much the, exactly what you've said there yeah yeah prosperity yeah. gospel we might do a whole episode on that someday it's it's absolutely terrifying stuff and you know those kind of because you plant you plant the seed, don't you? Like, and then you reap what you sow. You know, see if you plant the seed. If you plant the seed with a thousand dollars, you're gonna have you're gonna have loads of riches before you. Like, you but know, it, it literally trains you to be a, a narcissist. It's unbelievable. Ooh, well, look at all these like mega mega preachers like um, Benny. What's his name? Uh, God has told me I need a, a jet plane. Uh, what's can, his name? Benny Hens uh, or Hines or something. His name is something like that. You know who he is? Mega pastor. Yeah. Right, let's get back to Matthews. Benny Hinn, that's his name. Okay, so uh, Matthews, um, he, he eventually leaves that John Birch uh, organization. Well, I think he, you know, he, he just goes off and, and has a look at you know, what else is going on in the world. And then when he's 15, uh, think about what you're doing when you're 15, right? Probably watching shitty movies, listening to Green Day, right? This guy. <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you what else you could have done at 15 if you wanted to be Don't like tell Robert, me I wasted my, my teenager by not getting involved in in far right movements <laughs> because of Green oh, Day. Well, it's a little bit more boring than that, actually. He joined the tax <laughs> protest movement at 15. <laughs> oh, he must have been the coolest kid <laughs> on the block. <laughs> I 
again, the tax pro protest movement kind of they they oppose federal income taxes. Like you know, they they believe that the income tax laws are are invalid, and they they've got a legal and moral right not to pay those taxes to the federal government. So I mean, it does you know it is kind of a libertarian in, in argument, isn't it? It is libertarian, yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. there's another. But he does that when he's fifteen. Like what? <laughs> oh God, could you imagine? <laughs> Stuart Paul, how many fifteen-year-olds have you heard of the tax protest movement? <laughs> um, so after that, uh, he gets involved in um, uh, some kind of like crazy right-wing uh, people. I can't remember what the name of them. Or the Young Republicans, uh, and then he forms uh, a group called the Sons of Liberty. So Ooh, they were, sounds... yeah, he, he advocated for like more kind of a radical movement, like more uh, kind of violent activism. Um, so they, he decides like to, there was some kind of commando style raid on a, a, a TV station because uh, I think they want to get their message out. And I don't know, I'm actually, it's, I'm unsure if Matthews was there or not, but um, the police certainly thought so. So he went, he went on the run. And uh, when he came back, like maybe eight years later or something like that, um, he formed the order. He actually met his wife um, while he was on the run. I think he was in Arizona or something like that. Uh, and he was working in the mines back then. And he claimed that the FBI, the FBI harassed him out of the mines uh, by just spreading uh, kind of uh, misinformation about him. But uh, he put in like a column, I'm looking for a bride. Remember, you get those person lads. Wow. That's, that's, that's wife. very... I must watch what I say. I, for some reason, that struck me as a bit of a Mormon thing to do. Like, yeah. not, maybe not mainstream L L LDS or whatever it's called, but like there are, I read a book called Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. And it's about like these fringe, fringe, fringe breakaway Mormon sects in like really remote parts of the Southwestern deserts and uh, and places like that where you effectively have these little towns that are entirely a cult run by one guy who has like 10 wives and you know people there's a lot of sort of what you might describe as what do you call it in some cultures where you're like organized marriages or arranged marriages is, is a part of life for some of those sort of mormon fringe groups and i guess you'd meet kind of like minds who respond to those adverts right because you put it out there like really you've just kind of said like this is what i'm looking for so somebody you replied know? to this or did somebody's family reply and say oh yeah you can have our you can have our daughter no she she replied actually uh, she she replied and she was there with her name was debbie mcgarty and she stayed with him right after like she buried his ashes in the garden and all that like she was totally um totally in, in for whatever he was selling he, he wrote down like looking for a mature intelligent woman to share my life and land Washington, like how it kind of looks like fucking Swiss Family Robinson or something. <laughs> you know, that when you put it like that, that, house in the ferry so that just sounds like a regular one. But she wrote back, but she wrote back like, you know, oh, yeah, I better write back. And I'm totally on board with this. Like she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm no woman's liver. Uh, I feel the most important job a woman can have is to raise children. And of course he would have eaten this up like, you know. Yeah. Um, and know. it's odd you say that because the book, the book I was reading um, said it reminded Bob of his Mormon days. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but De Debbie's, De Debbie's was the eighth letter that he received. Um, there was 130 women who responded to that. 130. Man, people, people like this stuff. God. People were, well, yeah. well, you know, know, I mean, if, I if just that's thought there was a, something, I read the book and I was like, what the fuck? Well, if that's, if that's as far as it goes, Ali, that's fine. If people want to live in that kind of old fashioned way and, and don't take it any further and don't go committing genocide, that sounds fine. I don't mind. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> what happened next? Yeah, so he comes back and he forms the order. And like by this time now, he's become like really radicalized. Yeah, he's been to a couple of Aryan Nations rallies and he heard a guy called Richard uh, Gernt Butler speak. Uh, yeah, Butler, these Aryan, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he was so just like blown away by him. Uh, and that kind of led him to his first kind of identity, the Christian identity faith, which replaces Mormonism. Uh, and it, it became like, like proper, like th that was the biggest thing. He'd floated with our kind of religions now and again, but that was a big thing for him, you know? And he was like, yeah, this absolutely makes sense in my head. Uh, and then he managed to get some like-minded individuals from different backgrounds, like from the Aryan nations or from the CSA, the Covenant, the Sword, and the, the Arm of the Lord, as it was called. I must say quickly, Ellie, um, so I, I talked about John Ronson last week, and he had a TV show called Secret Rulers of the World. I might be mixing things up now. It might have been Louis Thoreau. No, it was Louis Thoreau. Louis Thoreau had an episode about, in the 90s, he had Weird Weekends. Did you ever watch that? Uh, yeah, I watched, I watched a couple of episodes of him. Yeah. So he meets William Butler. He goes to the Aryan Nations in the mid-90s while they're still, they're still going at this compound in some isolated spot in Idaho. And he goes to visit Butler. And one of Butler's like goons is showing him around. And they're up in this like flipping watchtower that they have as if it's Auschwitz or something. And he's like John Ronson, obviously. You know, you know what Louis Thoreau's like. He's got this like bumbling, disarming British kind of very polite persona. And yeah, like, yeah. Oh, so yeah. I, I see you have these giant big uh, pictures of Hitler, and uh, <laughs> and uh, the guy says to him, "Oh, yeah, you know, we love the British. Oh, I love British TV shows." And he actually says that he loves the show. Are you being served? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, it's this really campy seventies uh, or eighties British TV show that was on still when I was a kid, and. The thing everybody remembers about it is this character, Mr. Humphreys, who is all, who's yeah. like really, really gay and really, really camp about it. And and here's this Nazi guy up in the tower saying to Louis Thoreau, oh yeah, I'm a huge fan of you British and your British humor. I love, are you being served? And Louis Thoreau is really surprised by this. And he says like, really, what do you like about it? I mean, what do you think about Mr. Humphreys? <laughs> and the guy is like, oh yeah, I don't like that part. I like, I just kind of pretend like that doesn't happen. <laughs> and it's like, that's pretty much the main element that's one of the main elements of the show is that character and he's really he's really camp it's, <laughs> it's an incredible scene it, it's odd that they would like that because they were against kind of you know well, that's what that's what thoreau wasn't. says but it's just one of those the guy says it and then you like you can tell he almost immediately wishes he hadn't said it because it's just such a terrible example of what they're the nazis are supposed to be about they're not supposed to like that sort of thing anyway right what, what where are we at in life and times of mr matthews well, he, he ends up um, like saying to the guys, so he makes them, because he, he idolizes the, the Turner Diaries. Yeah. Which is a he fictional formed, book that's kind of circulating in the far right underground about a race war, just in uh, case anyone hasn't heard the other episode. Yeah. So uh, kind of cliff notes of it. Like it's about the, you know, it's the, the diaries of a man called Earl Turner, who is a, starts as a kind of a low level grunt for the, uh, the organization who are like essentially the order and they're fighting the system, which is the, the federal government. And they all kick off because the Cohen act at the start of the book removes their guns. Um, quite like, I suppose the Brady bill, which you couldn't buy certain additions to your weapons and all that. 
the Cohen Act removes the guns entirely and they go on like it's a very racist book not an um, accident they, that the name you know, Cohen is a particularly Jewish name. You, well, Leonard Cohen, like they're implying that some, you know, puppeteering Jewish council has, or some Jewish politician has done this deliberately to take everybody's guns away. And that, that would be my guess anyway. They really hate the Jew. Like they don't like um, what they, cause in his letters and in his kind of, uh, the, the stuff that he releases, like, you know, doesn't like the Jews, doesn't like the muds. Um, which is uh, like people of different skin colors. It's, oh, it's based on the uh, the ten tribes thing we were talking about the other day. Oh yeah. yeah, in which yeah, in which they're all descended from Adam, the whites, and then I think the uh, the Jews who are the seed of Satan are descended from Cain, who killed yeah. Abel. Yeah, and, and then, then again that I, I all that all came up in our episode about British Israelites. It's really horrible stuff, really. So they they have a, a term they use often in. This book I read, which almost reads like a novel, it's almost like a novelization, but based on, I suppose, the, the interviews that took place or the you know, testimonies that were given people around, uh, around the order. But they call them, they have a term for them called Zog. And Zog is the Zionist Occupation Government, which is a conspiracy theory. <laughs> is this the Not idea that, that like the US government is actually a cover for some kind of Jewish cabal? A secret, well, according to believers, yeah, a secret Zionist organization controls the internet national banks and through them the governments in order to include against white christian or islamic interests yeah i see uh obviously it's just uh, all white supremacists that only believe this actually <laughs> you know well this is this is why people think uh, that so maybe they, maybe someone like david ike is anti-semitic because if you take i mean he's not as blunt as that if you take if you take out the anti-semitic language but you keep the whole idea of the evil banks and the whole structure that's what he's talking about so that's why some people think that he's kind of dog whistling for, you know, the, 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 the more racist stuff. I, I'm not entirely convinced of that myself. I think he has a, a different, like an analogous, but quite different origin story for his ridiculous conspiracies. I mean, they're equally stupid. I'm, I'm not convinced they're equally racist, but, you know, I, I remain, I'm open to being corrected on that. So you don't think he's as as like he's not as provocative as, as these guys have been. Well, just I mean, yeah. as as John Ronson said, like David, like when you say giant lizards, do you mean giant lizards? <laughs> and I kind, of, <laughs> I kind of think he does, but uh, yeah, each to their own. Well, they I think they really they really kind of do a, like they really hardly properly believe the Zog conspiracy theory because well, look again, he's idolized the uh, Turner Diaries and the people he's brought into his order. Um, they've taken the oath with him. I read the oath earlier on. I, I don't have it in front of me. I'm sorry, I would have read it out, but it's absolute nonsense. Uh, I, I did, I, when I was watching a documentary around about this called Turning Point, The Order, and they do describe it like, well, they're taking the oath, which happens in the Turner Diaries, by the way. In the Turner Diaries, there is a secret bit of the organization within the organization, which I'm is- I'm reminded of QAnon recently doing this, like taking the digital oath thing. It's the same kind of thing, yeah, yeah. That you, you, yeah, you're going to defend your. Well, these guys are defending their race against everyone else. Uh, How many people are in the, the group race. at this point, roughly? Is it is it small? Uh, Pre-violence, uh, he managed to recruit quite a large number. Actually, I suppose it might have been maybe up to fifty. Wow. Uh, oh, there was, yeah, there was, there was, there was quite a lot of them before the violence started happening because they were all, you know, at the time. Uh, even with Butler stuff, like you know, they they weren't advocating anything. They weren't like they weren't violent activists. They were uh, just yeah, saying was, this this should happen. Butler you know, was always careful. As far as I know, anyway, he was quite careful. He would toe the line 
but always pull back from doing anything that would get them arrested or anything like that. Yeah, put them under surveillance because I suppose he thought like this will hurt the movement and then in the end if you just, uh, because we are so radical, right, if suddenly now we are linked to, and they are of course linked to it, you, when you think white supremacy, you do think, um, uh, you know, people like Timothy McVeigh or, or someone like Bob Matthews or someone like that, you know, you don't really think some guy just telling us his opinion. So is then, he, you know, he, he sounds quite unusual within the, within the movement for actually advocating for doing something physically and, yeah. and getting violent. At least on an organizational level, you know. He's this probably was... one of the earliest, actually. He might be the earliest. Yeah, I mean, what we've seen... Yeah, I think, I think he's, probably the, he's probably the earliest. Yeah, like, like, like for, I said in the main episode, as far as I know, like the, you know, the, the feds didn't even have a name for this kind of thing. They, they didn't call it terrorism, what we'd now call domestic terrorism. No. It was, it was quite new. So he, what, what happened when so they started he, getting active? Well, they've, well, they've put their, well, taking the oath, they put a white child, a white little child in the middle of the room to remind oh. them this is the next generation of whites that we're trying to protect. I know, a five-month-old oh, girl. Goodness. One of the, one of the children, of the, yeah, one of the uh, children of the, um, uh, of the white supremacists. Um, and they take this oath and they say, right, we have to start collecting money because in the, so in the Turner Diaries, that's what they do. At the start, the organization is very, very weak. And they're, they're going to ground to try and build up a, a resistance and they have to get some funds. So at the start, the um, Turner and his cohorts, his unit, they, um, they start knocking off uh, stores predominantly owned by Jews or race traders. They, they, they target them specifically and take their money. And so they're, they're only pinching pennies at the start. And then, uh, so I'll get to the rest of it in a minute. Bob Matthews does the exact same thing. So the first thing they do is they knock off a porn store. Yeah. They didn't want to see any porn shops in there. Uh, in, the, in the town where he lived, there's only one porn shop there. Um, so him and his cohorts go in there. Uh, they are successful in the robbery, but they only got, they only, they got about 300 bucks or something like that. Before they knocked off the porn store, they tried to get, they tried to get the funding through legal means. So they tried to get uh, jobs as loggers. I think they did a couple of days and then they were like, we, we need to get some money a different way. Like, you know, uh, because this is just literally too tiring. So they think, it's oh, hard no, work we'll and I, I, I could be wrong. I don't, I don't imagine it's that lucrative. <laughs> no, it's not. It wasn't lucrative at all. Actually, they they weren't earning any money from it. They were just sweating their bollocks off. So then they said, like, let's go and knock stores off. So they go. I think what's different to them versus the Turner Diaries and the Turner Diaries, they it's race traitors outside of moderate conservatives and Jews that they're targeting. Yeah, um, these guys don't give a fuck. They'll just they just rob. Well, also like in, rea- in in your fa- in this fantasy world, you know everything is divided into us and them. But in real life. That's not the case. Like, you can't just walk around and immediately know who's who. And, you know, people don't actually fit into these neat little categories like they would like. So, you know, in real life, you don't know what kind of person you're robbing all the time. Uh, no, I guess not. No. No, makes sense. I mean, you're not going to know, especially if it's a porn shop and fucking blacked out windows. Like, <laughs> try to look in the window. Is there a Jew in there? <laughs> I don't know. There's beaded curtains. I can't see. um so they decide like right we're not getting much off the um we're not getting much off the uh off the porn shops so bob matthews decided to take take matters into his own hands so he robs a bank on his own and his his reasoning is that it's okay to rob banks even though someone tries to argue with him at the start 
uh, a lady called Zilla, who keeps quoting uh, her, that's a surname, I can't remember her first name, keeps kind of quoting scripture at them to try and, you know, get them to calm down. So they nickname her Godzilla. <laughs> her name is Z-I-L-L-A-H. <laughs> um, so she says, you know, thou shalt not steal, you know, the Bible says don't steal, but then Bob Matthews, his reasoning comes back going like, well, he also says, you know, bring my, bring your enemies before me and slay them. So that's his reasoning. That's his understanding of the Bible. Yeah. And that same, he carried that same kind of burning anger uh, right through to the end in his letters and his la his declaration of war. Um, right through to the end, he, he maintained that hatred. Uh, but anyway, so he decides to rob this bank. He fucks up the bank robbery. Yeah. Or rather a, te a teller fucks it up for him. He, he gets away and everything. Yeah, but the teller is trained to put a special wad of notes in there, which release some dye, so it fucks the notes up. Yeah, um, so he, he <laughs> there's a picture of him in this book, right? There's a bunch of pictures of him that the, the writer managed to get hold of and put them in the Silent Brotherhood book, where he's got he, he rocks up to his friends with a lucky bag of twenty five thousand dollars in it with all blue money from the dye exploding all over it. <laughs> Craziness. Who's taking the photograph? Like. One Good of his question. Gangs. I'm just one of his gangs, excited suppose, to, cro yeah. to chronicle this moment for the ages. One of his friends punking him. I don't know. I, I was I was really confused. I was looking at it around because it's a lucky bag, and I thought, man, they don't make them like they used to. I mean, you open a lucky bag; they don't sell lucky bags anymore. But do you remember when we were kids? Like, you get a lucky bag for fifty p, and it might be a lollipop inside and <laughs> a sticker. Twenty five thousand know? dollars covered in dye. Twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> Those lucky bags back in back in the seventies. And man. the you, they were uh, they were something else. And <laughs> how did he fit, how did he yeah, fit yeah. so much money in, in, in a lucky bag? That's what I want to know, right? I did look at it. I looked at the, it looked like a big lucky bag, to be honest. Yeah. I, to be honest, I don't know if it was real. It might have just been a brown bag. And maybe so someone, he, but the, the, at this the, point, like, are, are his followers getting less interested as he gets more radical and starts actually doing things? No, they're getting... Oh yeah, so it's not the armed robberies don't really give a f like they can't they haven't really cared about because they've not been involved in the in the bank robberies up to now. But then he starts getting a little bit more kind of passionate about raising it to the next level, and he is talking about oh so before all this sorry he meets a guy called um the guy who brought the the whole organization down. So they need to get, they need to clean their money up somehow, okay? So they've um, recruited a guy called Tom Martinez, who becomes quite important later on. He can he's actually quite good at counterfeiting, but he doesn't want any part in much else you know he's just happy to clean the money for them he was quite a bitter racist himself i think a bit over in the book like that you know he was offered when he went looking for jobs he was offered a janitor's job because of his name that's what he reckons martinez um but i don't know if that's true or not it could just be him just being angry about everything and not being you know just not being able to get a job other than janitor uh so he starts cleaning the money up for them. In the Turner Diaries, what happens is the, the, like the, org, the organization get much bigger because they start uh, bleeding in bills, counterfeit bills of like 10 billion at the end that they're, they're strongest uh, into, the, um, into, the currency, into the currency system uh, to try and weaken the, um, the economy and make it so they can spend the money without getting caught. So uh, Bob Matthews, who has read this book in great detail, has said, yeah, let's do that. But their bills are of such poor quality, that's how they start getting caught at this. Uh, because Martinez tries to offload one of the fake bills in the same store he spent a dodgy bill in uh, previously. And the store clerk has recognized him and called the cops. So they managed to get Martinez in the interview for a while. 
and uh, they they tell him that they're going to get him on um, counterfeiting charges. So he's got to become kind of the help for them, as it were. The order find out about it later on. They don't do anything to him. <laughs> they can't because he gets he gets out before they can. But they 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 write a death threat to him, like one of his last letters, Bob Matthew or Bob Matthews, and he says, "Yeah, we're going to kill you." But before you get to all that, they start doing the counterfeiting thing. It's it's not working out for them. So he says, "We're going to knock off some uh, bank trucks." So they decide. Uh, beforehand, they murder uh, a guy they believe is a race trader. That was the first act of violence. Before um, the Annenberg DJ murder, they murder another guy called uh, Walter West. I've only, I only read a small bit about it. I don't know why they killed Walter West, but the minute they killed him, one of them hit him with a hammer and it didn't work out, so they kind of put him out of misery with a bullet. It's really fucked up. Mm. Uh, and when that happened, yeah, when that happened, the, uh, the order... Like the lads got kind of cold feet and decided that's it. Like we're we're out of here. Uh, so really, only a I think it was about twenty four of them remained. About half of them, but they were the the half that really believed in it. They knock off uh, a couple of bands. Their biggest one was the um, uh, the Brinks uh, robbery. It was a Brinks fan. They followed it the week before to try and get its route. And um, what they had done, quite skullduggerous like, but it was quite good. They, they didn't have any massive arms to take off this armed truck. Bob Matthews gets a pipe, just a, a copper or um, just a big plastic pipe and they spray paint it because he wants to make it look like a bazooka. <laughs> and if he sh- shows it from far enough away, then the, armored, uh, then the armored car, the armored truck would think it's bazooka, right? And you think, hmm, a pipe, does it look like a bazooka? Well, it worked. The two cars um, wow. uh, kind of created a pinch. Yeah, the two, the two cars that the, he had used, the two drivers, kind of pinched the van in to stop. And they'd, had, um, they'd all had balaclavas apart from one member who was just being brazen because he was like, there's 12 of us here and uh, just these two guys. So he holds up the, the pipe and they hold the sign saying, money or die. And the lads in the, in the, in the truck are shitting themselves because they're like, my God, that's a bazooka. Um, obviously he can't fire it so they fire a couple of bullets into the van uh, to, to spook the, uh, the guards so uh, the guards obviously give up the give up the ghost yeah there was a woman driving by at the time and I don't know why but the woman had a CB radio in her car <laughs> right? used to be a hobby back then really yeah because I mean, I, obviously I it's, it's associated with truckers but uh, lots of ordinary people kind of took an interest at the time it was a hobby. Well, she got on her CB radio and said, like, my God, there's 12 men robbing this, this, uh, this van. And uh, from the bit that I read earlier on, someone was like, get off this radio with your bullshit. <laughs> so no one came. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, craziness, man. Um, there was a guy, Andrew Barnhill, who had been involved in a spate of robberies with uh, Bob Matthews. And that's how they got him in the end. That's how they managed to link all the robberies together because it was a really hot day. And uh, Matthews had stuck the pistol down his sweaty bum crack, like, and when he was when he was bending down to pick up the money, it slipped out. Do you know what I mean? And it was lying on the floor. <laughs> really, really slippy in there. Really slippy. Really, yeah, really yeah. Nice. The two the two main people here were a guy called Gary Yarbrough and Bob Matthews. Yarbrough was um, had kept all the stuff stupidly. Had kept all the stuff stashed in his house. So before this robbery, right? Always after this robbery, the, the FBI are, are you know are wondering. It's I think it's just. Before this robbery, they killed DJ Allen Berg. Yeah, Allen Berg was a Jewish um, civil yeah. rights lawyer who was What's also weird? an outspoken host. Yeah, right? but he was. An, it's weird to think that back then there were these um, sort of lefty, uh, you know, obnoxious talk show hosts. 
Whereas, whereas now it, it seems to be almost exclusively. He wasn't a, at the start. A right, no, yeah, but now it's kind of a right wing phenomena. But yeah, back then it wasn't. There's a couple of films about this incident. The, I've seen one called Talk Radio, which is based on a play. It's sort of like a roughly fictionalized version of that murder. It's worth a look. I think it's an early Oliver Stone film, actually. You saw Who's a different one. You mentioned a different film. People versus Larry Flint. They, that's that's di- that's a different one. People versus Larry Flint was. Uh, oh no, that's the same one with the order. Um, in the People versus Larry Flint, they, Bob Matthews is apparently well. The story goes they're lying away, but you know they they don't do anything in the end. They run off. Right. So what happened then? So well, Anna Berg is assassinated. Right. They they managed to get two shooters. Like they, they, they were convicted eventually, but they, you know, it, it took them a long time to be able to get, to get, them, get them convicted. Uh, but they shot him, the FBI deduced with a MAC-10. They just sprayed him all over the gaff. Yabra was stupid enough to keep that gun in his gaff. So the FBI was coming into his house. I think they, were, they had an order to come for his brother, actually. But Yabra got spooked and he ran. And they went into the, his gaff and they found all the guns, all the code names they were using. Yeah. Um, so Bob Matthews was like, we have to maintain this like a military operation. No drugs. You can have two beers. That's about it. You know, uh, because otherwise you're going to get sloppy. Don't use any two other beers. phones. I except for pay phones. There was yeah, the two beer rule. Two beers. Yeah. Hey, put down that Budweiser. What are you... <laughs> I know, crazy, because he was, he was trying to keep them all as disciplined as possible. Stop and, uh, keeping they, the stuff in your house. Yeah, well, yeah, well, he didn't know he was keeping all this stuff, but they found all the code names they've been using and everything. Every, they found literally everything there, oh, including funny. the MAC-10. And the FBI agent that I was looking I was watching the documentary earlier on, I said to my partner, like, is he stupid enough to actually have kept the murder weapon in his house? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> um, so they finally know what's up, right? So after the Brinks armed robbery, they know they have the Barnhill weapon and the MAC-10. They, they pretty much have everything. Now it's just a, a case of ringing them all in. And they knew that Tom Martinez was on their side because they were going to get him for counterfeiting. They're all hiding in a motel. Yeah. Um, the, well, the three lads are Yarbra, uh, Matthews, and Martinez are all in the hotel or motel. And Martinez is like trying to get out of there. So he was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go get some beers and some women. He clearly didn't care about the two beer rule. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, the FBI, he's managed to tip him off. He goes out. Uh, Yabra said, you got to be careful because we got a lot of stuff in the car. This, this same Yabra who had everything in his house, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he manages to tip the FBI off. I can't remember exactly how he's done. I think he's gone outside and used the phone. Um, but the FBI now have, sur- have surrounded uh, the place. They've, you know, they've gotten tipped off. Maybe a bit earlier. The FBI were there. Yeah. Martinez came out and he was taken in, like, obviously put to the side by the FBI. Yabra sees feds. He tries to jump out the window and he's caught by the feds. And there's some, there's an exchange of gunfire. I think one of the feds might have been shot in the foot or it was Yabra that shot, shot in the foot. But um, Matthews exchanged some gunfire back and he this gets is, shot in the hand. Is this in Oregon, Ali? This, this like, rings a bell. Clear. This shout out, is this I, somewhere by the coast, Oregon or Washington? Uh, well, I'll read out the small, small bit I found here, right? So the FBI said, uh, oh, was, yeah, you're right. It was Oregon. It was Oregon. That's right. Sorry. Martinez had made, um, had gotten in touch with the FBI before he met up with Matthews and uh, Yabra. That's how the FBI knew how to go to the, uh, the motel. So Yabra was captured and Matthews ran uh, to Washington and he went to a place called uh, Whidbey uh, Island. Yes. Yeah. That's right. So, 
So now there's another shooter that they've linked to the Berg murder, and that's a guy called Randy Dewey. So they bring him down and another uh, cohort of um, another friend of uh, Matthews while the feds now have surrounded his house. Yeah. And they, pl- they, they start pleading him to come out, including Dewey, who was a proper supporter of him. Like, he was like, yeah, look, I had a gun in my hand and, you know, I just dropped it and they arrested him. You won't be killed at all whatsoever. Like Matthew says, like the FBI says, what do you want? And he says, I know to tell you what I want. I want this whole land up here near the Canadian border just for the white people. And it's odd that you said that the last day. And in the Turner Diaries, it's the same thing. They want the whole like land over in the, the uh, white the Western bit. Yeah. Of course they were yeah, like, yeah, yeah, sure, man. All you had to do is ask. <laughs> I know, yeah. Why didn't yeah, you say yeah. so? <laughs> <laughs> so they obviously denied, you know, well, we can give you a marriage bar, mate. <laughs> um, they decided there was a guy in the house with him actually that was trying to get away because he was spooked and he let him go. Who was a, a friend of his. He said, yeah, here you go. Here's a, a letter of mine. And uh, here's 40,000 books. The guy thought he was going to be able to keep that money, by the way. And he walked out the door. And then uh, Matthews said to the FBI, your man's coming out, by the way. Yeah, he's leaving. So your man leaves. Matthews is now the only one in the house. Uh, and they heard a gunshot and a low, like a, a low moan. Yeah, kind of like, uh, bang. So the FBI guy in charge said, oh, he's committed suicide. Uh, it's nighttime now, so just to be sure, we'll just wait until sun up, just in case it's a, a ploy, it's a trap, and it was a trap. Uh, so Don comes, yeah, uh, reading all that all that survivalist stuff that he's read uh, over the years. He's obviously got his gas mask on. Uh, the CS gas comes through the window. I think they put out six six cans of it. Uh, he's already waiting there with the, with, with the mask on, and they go in. He's at the top of the stairs. And he starts shooting. It's not, this, this whole exchange with the, with the 75 federal agents, he's, he's shot off a thousand bullets, they reckon. Yeah. But he's not actually hit a single, he's not hit a single agent. Right. Yeah. Uh, they decide to turn, return fire with a big machine gun in short bursts uh, or flare gun. And the FBI knew that it was going to cause fire to the house, but they reckon it's not going to cause fire immediately it's not going to go up like paper like waco did yeah um it's you know he's got enough time to get out of the house nope he stayed in there and he burned to death uh, and I, I mean his final letter was pretty much yeah i know i'm going to die i'm going to die a soldier um for blood and for honor and all that uh, and he was like you know more people are going to come to my cause and actually the aftermath of this like when I first read about them, I didn't think they were, it was as big as Randy Weaver or is because I, I just hadn't read about them. Yeah. You don't hear uh, as much about them. No, no, you don't. They're I think not, because well, it's so I long think ago. Is, I, I wonder if they, they weren't held up by the militia movement in, in decades to come because they were so overtly racist, you know, with Waco and with, with the Weavers, you can, you can kind of paint them as, you know, people who were just trying to do their own thing and, you know, mind their own business and the feds came in on top of them and you know killed a bunch of people whereas that's not that's not the story with with the order they were out murdering people and they got hunted down because of it yeah i mean well yeah in the end they'd killed well two people and i think actually between ruby ridge and waco and mcveigh and the order this was the least amount of people to be killed by yes um 
uh, crazy right wing ideology. But if you're going to include the exchange of gunfire between the feds, it kind of sounds like um, they were just fairly different by comparison with, you know, McVeigh or, or Ted Kaczynski or whatever. Yeah, I don't think they were as quite read up. Uh, well, look, they didn't have the same love of guns that McVeigh had. They just knew they wanted to keep their guns. Like, you know, uh, he, their, their whole thing was like, we're going to follow the constitution to the letter. <laughs> yeah. And all these other laws are bullshit. Yeah. Um, actually, in the aftermath of this, I think more stuff came out about it. Like, you know, the, the order was also called, um, oh, that's a German word for it, uh, uh, the Bruder, the Bruder Schweigen. This is kind of, I suppose, the start of the militia movement that we have come to know. In because they started started kind of coming out a little bit out of the forest after that. There was a Bruderschweigen two strike force two. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a, a Steven Seagal film, Ali. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was small. It was five people with them um, back from the Aryan Nations, and they carried out a few bombings. Yeah, um, I read in this book here. Look, uh, I'll read out a couple of bits here. That was all all inspired by this one group, the Order. In 86, Americans spawned gun stores to buy the remaining legal machine guns before and like a law took effect banning their manufacture, right? In 86, uh, the Klan were trying to uh, stop a crime wave by stopping blacks walking in the white neighborhood. A survivalist group called the Arizona Patriots were arrested, like they were planning to rob an armored truck, yeah? obviously inspired so this by- this is all um, shortly afterwards and inspired by the order. Yeah, well, they were the. I suppose it was this. This was the Arizona Patriots were inspired by the order, but also I think there was a bit um, John Birch in there. I'll read out this little paragraph. I think I think you'll like it, right? So on December fifteenth, eighty six, FBI agents arrested six members of the survivalist group called the Arizona Patriots. Evidence showed the men were planning to rob an armored truck, leaving the uh, Lockland, Nevada gambling halls, and to bomb the IRS center in Ogden, Utah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Ogden, Utah, I suppose. With the VCR plugged into a portable generator in their primitive. Happened. They watched the film Red Dawn about oh, <laughs> no. a government resistance to a communist invasion of America. <laughs> I might do an episode. Ali, we might do an episode about Red Dawn because um, uh, John Milius is a really interesting. The director, he's a really interesting guy. Really interesting. Is guy. he also a crazy kind of? He like when, what's a new? He made Conan the Barbarian, which is a total classic, uh, and he made Red Dawn, which is like <laughs> reactionary nonsense. But he was just. He was a hard right gun nut making his way in Hollywood and Hollywood is obviously mostly kind of hippie, dippy, lefty types. And yet he, he was friends with most of them and he was living in that world. And he was the own, kind of like the only figure of that generation, that kind of 70s, 80s generation of filmmakers like Francis Ford Coppola and all those guys and, you know, George Lucas. And he would have known, known all these people <clears throat> and been radically different politically. So he's quite unusual. Do you reckon, like, I mean, I think... Like the, the, with the order, I think was the start of, you know, the emergence of the militia and the survivalists and the, the Christian identity kind of, you know, racialists that we know today. I think maybe they were always there. We didn't really know. They were kind of sheltered under the, uh, anti-com- like the anti-communist party, like the Birch Society and all that. But really, it's the order that makes them all come out of the, and, and then they inspire all this, you know, uh, kind of brazenness of the Aryan nations, which then sensationalize even more stuff like Randy Weaver, which I, you know, well, I wasn't around when uh, this whole thing went down. We weren't around then uh, when this whole thing went down with the order, uh, nor were we with Weaver, but I remember, like, I rem- I've heard about Ruby Ridge a whole lot more than I've heard about Whitby. Yeah, I think, I think it's because people who promoted this stuff in the years afterwards didn't want to emphasize the racist element and you, there's no hiding it with, 
with the order because that was what they were about. So, you know, when people, you pay attention to the language they use, they'll always say, oh, we're about patriots. We're about like really respecting the constitution. We're about sovereign rights and, and this sort of thing. And you can, you can use that language to cover up other things um, as long as nobody is, you know, saying the, the quiet part loud and uh, <laughs> the order said the quiet part loud a lot. Well, with the, with the order, he's the only person, like the only leader of whatever movement that I've read about up to now that we talked about, um, that was an Odinist. Maybe there were others, but it's the first time I'd read about it. And it's not, there's no Odinist in the Turner Diaries. I suppose, As in like name German me. pagan stuff, Odin, that, that, that. Odin, like, yeah. Uh, like, uh, uh, that shows up a lot now. Actually, there's, again, we, we could do another episode about like racism in um, like heavy metal and black metal and stuff. And you can usually yeah, it would be it would feature out there. Yeah, yeah. They, they tend to name themselves after these sort of like European pagan gods and Norse gods and st that sort of thing. There was a black metal band uh, in Norway in like the early nineties that oh, I think there's only about two of them in the band and one ended yeah. up killing the other. Um, uh, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, the first Lords time I read of, about the there's a film about that called Lords of Chaos, which is good. Yes, that's it. Uh, that's the movie I heard of. Thanks a lot for doing, again, loads of reading and research. Much appreciated. It's, a, it's an astonishing story and one that you don't hear about much these days, but it's, it's quite clear how important it is, what an influence it was on stuff that is still happening. Once again, inspired by the Turner Diaries. I feel that's yeah. an episode in itself, I think. Yeah, the honest. gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, my God almighty. Okay, listen, thanks very much, Ali. We'll talk soon. Yeah, man. And uh, thanks to all listeners. Once again, this has been Wide Atlantic Weird. I'm Kian. Massive thanks to Ali. And as always, stay safe and thanks for listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You will prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. <laughs>